0: Hi, everyone, <laughs> and welcome back to the Throwback Bookstack. I am one of your hosts, Kelly.
1: And I am Emily.
0: And we're happy you join us again this week. Um, this time we're talking about Lawrence Yep's book, The Serpent's Children. And if you haven't joined us before, we are a podcast where we revisit the books that we read as kids, and now we reread them as adults and figure out, do we still like them? Do we love them? Do we hate them? How do we feel about ourselves nowadays? So Lawrence Yep's The Serpent's Children... This was published in 1984, and it was actually part of a series.
1: I did not know it was published. My jaw dropped when you said that.
0: I have a very good visual right now. I'm sorry you're all missing. Is Emily just stared at me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was published in 1984. Wow, I didn't know that.
0: Is that surprising? Yeah, it is. It was the first actually in a series of books. There are 10 of them, and it's called the Golden Mountain Chronicles. There's
1: 10 of them? Yeah. I knew nothing about this book. What? You were the... Okay. I just want to say, I did know it was a prequel to other books. Yes. And I've read at least one more in the series. I did not know there was ten. And I also did not realize it was published that early.
0: Yeah, so basically this series is a series of books that basically really deal with sort of the connection between china and america specifically san francisco and sort of the experience of immigrants and people that are sort of immigrating from china to america and that sort of um growing up experience and it actually spans um a time range where the books span between 1835 and 2011 so it's kind of the basically the story of the young family over multiple generations
1: my god i have so many more books to read (laughs) I had no clue.
0: So this was a book I hadn't read as a kid, and Emily read, and apparently I did way more research on this book than Emily. <laughs> All
1: right. I thought it was a trilogy. It's I thought... on Lauren's Yuff's Wikipedia page. I did not look that up, apparently. I thought it was three books. Uh, I did read this as a kid, and which I- Which three? Well, I thought it was this one and the sequel, which I've read, and I thought there was one after that. Which- th- There's multiple sequels! (laughs) Okay, well, there's one that basically picks up exactly where this ends. Okay. So.
0: Yeah, The Mountain Light.
1: Yeah, I've read that.
0: Okay. That was published the year after this book.
1: I also thought it was, I don't know, I thought it was published around the time I bought it, which was not 1984. I was not born then. It was in the 90s, mid-90s, which I thought was when it was published. So this is all news to me. I'm sorry. I did not do any research <laughs> except for...
0: There were a couple of these published mid-90s. Like, two of the series were published mid-90s. But basically, Lawrence Yep has kind of written um, a number of books between, now and tw- or between 1984 and 2011.
1: Yeah, this is another historical fiction. So... Which is
0: Emily's favorite. I
1: love it. I read it, obviously, when I was younger. And I loved this book when I was younger. I loved it. Like I said, I bought it... I don't know every once in a while I guess when I would have a birthday or Christmas or something we would go to Borders and I'd have a gift card and I get to buy whatever I wanted and that's how I picked up a lot of random books that were never recommended or basically like I don't know something about them appealed to me and this was one of them you can see I have my copy here and it still has the Borders sticker on
0: it with the price. (laughs) I can see this and I can vouch in fact it does and whoa it was
1: only six dollars books were cheaper back then 5.95 to be exact but taxes you know man (laughs) so yeah i read this as a kid and i loved it and then i read the immediate sequel you
0: can't buy anything for six dollars nowadays i know
1: right but i guess i did not know there was 10 of them and i will be looking that up to
0: be fair a whole bunch of them were not published at that time but no there's a bunch published actually before this actually wasn't the first one published there was a couple published back in the late 70s
1: yeah which i also didn't know until i read the author's note which i guess i always skipped as a kid but he does say that he had written i guess further in the trilogy which Mm -hmm. i assumed was like book three and then went back and wrote the prequels you know kind of like star wars style i assumed
0: yeah i guess like his first couple that he wrote took place in the 1960s and 1970s wow yeah
1: No clue. This is what
0: Wikipedia tells me, so take it with a grain of salt.
1: So full of knowledge. I know. Wikipedia, not you.
0: It's actually really hard to find information on this. I was really looking into some background, and there's just not a lot of information. I
1: actually agree. I did look it up a little bit. And I, I found that the only thing I could really find online was like the exact summary that's written on the back of my paperback, published in like 1994 or whatever.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I found a lot about Lawrence Yep and sort of his history, and that you know he's won like the Lauren Laura Ingalls Wilder Medal, and sort of his has a really extensive bibliography. But in terms of this actual series, there wasn't a lot of information.
1: I have read other things of his that were not this mm-hmm. series. And he has won, like, some Newbery Awards and stuff, Mm -hmm. and he is known for writing about, like, especially Chinese-Americans, I think, and their, like, folk stories from them, and also what it's like to, like, their connection to America and what it's like to be Chinese-American. Yeah, it seems like a
0: lot of his books, from what I've read, um, really connect to the idea of identity and his struggle with identity growing up as a Chinese-American youth in san francisco
1: which is one of the things i think really appealed to me when i was younger was that it was a voice i had not heard like Mm -hmm. it was someone who uh, i grew up in an area that was like very white i think nowadays it's very well known that representation is important for multiple reasons and it is obviously super important for the people to see themselves in things But it's also important for the people who don't see that. Like, that was one of the things I was drawn to as a kid, reading stories of perspectives that were, like, not mine and, like, what it's like to be there. I still think that's an important thing for, you know, people to be exposed to. I think that's how you learn not to be prejudiced. (laughs) So yeah, obviously I read this as a kid. I loved it and you had never heard of it. No, which actually surprised me because I
0: grew up in an area that's kind of the opposite of you. I grew up in a very not white area (laughs) and you know, I actually was really lucky in that I, you know, my library as a kid actually had a really diverse set of voices and especially we had a lot of really great local authors who did some really cool children's books and I just, I ended up being surprised that this wasn't something given how many books he's written that this never crossed my path, especially because looking at some of the titles, um, some of them definitely seem like things I would have read. I actually kind of think I might have read something in this series. He does have a book called Dragon Wings. It's the fifth one in this in this Golden Mountain Chronicles. And I feel like I might have read this as a kid and just don't remember because I saw a picture of the cover and it triggered a memory of like, wait, I I, I remember this book, but I have no memory of the plot or anything about it. So I can't say I wasn't exposed to his books, but I don't, you know, it wasn't a big memory of my childhood.
1: So to summarize the book, this is the story of a family in China in the 1830s.
0: 1849.
1: Oh, wow, it was a little off. Anyway, well, it starts Again,
0: Wikipedia. Yeah,
1: I know. (laughs) They don't actually ever say the year, but you get, like, context clues a little bit. Uh, So it's a mom and a dad and their two kids. The older one's name is Cassia. And she is a girl, and then she has a little brother named Foxfire. And this is mostly told from Cassio's point of view, or entirely told. Her mom and dad were both, like, kind of revolutionaries at the time. There was a lot of political upheaval going on in China at this time, and they were both supporting the rebels, basically. Her mom is kind of, like, super calm in a lot of ways, and knows a lot, of, like, likes to tell them stories, and, like, grow herbs and medicines and stuff. And her dad is more of, like, a warrior type. And so it starts out with her talking about how much pressure there is on her as the girl, where she always has to be kind of, like, perfect and, like, doing things correctly and supporting the family, where her little brother is allowed to get away with anything because he's, like, the, the boy of the family. And so it starts out with her dad going off to support this rebellion and leaving... Her and her brother and her mom alone. And her mom kind of gets sick and isn't doing well. And, like, pretty quickly into the story, her mom dies. And it's kind of (laughs) horrific. And so they're kind of left alone because their dad is off at war. And their aunt and uncle try to, like, take care of them. But their aunt and uncle are kind of, like, I want to say just more, like, misguided than, like, truly evil. But, like, one of the things they do is they try to take Cassia and bind her feet. And, like, it is from a place of, like, if you have this and we'll pay a lot of money for it, you could get, like, a rich marriage and stuff. But, like, she does not want that. And, like, I had never heard of foot binding when I read this, and, like, Wikipedia did not exist. So there was many years when I was like, I know this is a bad thing, but I was having trouble picturing exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, it's I... a
0: hard thing, especially, I think, to picture if yeah. you haven't had a very extensive description or seen a picture because it's super outside the Western experience. Yeah,
1: and he does describe it pretty well once you know. But, Mm -hmm. like, it is hard to picture if you just literally don't have any If you're a kid
0: and you've never heard of this before. And when
1: I first saw a picture of it, I was horrified. I was like, what? (laughs) Like, that's what... But I knew it was bad and they describe it and it's, like, a pretty painful process even when it first starts out and stuff. Um, So she tries to escape and her little brother kind of helps her out and they bind, like, bind together for the first time. Like, they're both just, like... It may not be much, but this is what we have. Um, and we're going to stand up to the rest of the family. And they're kind of like, we don't need your help. We'll live alone. We can tend the fields by ourselves, aunt and uncle. And they have to kind of get, like, kind of violent about it. Be like, yeah, if you come near us, we'll hurt you. Like, so they oh, kind they of- Oh, they get
0: very violent yeah. about it. She basically makes herself a, a spear.
1: Yeah. So they kind of, like, this is all they got left. Uh, their dad eventually comes home from the war and he is wounded in a way that will, like, never quite heal all the way now it's just the three of them and like things kind of change like their dad starts to put way more on foxfire he wants him to be more of like a warrior like him but he's more of a dreamer like his mom or like cassia kind of has the warrior practical spirit and so it's just kind of a fucked up dynamic of like she's not allowed to be though because she's the girl and like they put all this on him and um so they're living for like a few years and there's You know, political upheaval in the background. The revolution is still kind of taking place. There's also, like, a weird thing with this group of people called the Strangers in China, who's, like, basically a group that's existed for, like, many number of years but isn't really accepted. And Cassia is friends with a girl who's part of that group. And just, like, their family kind of settling in and still missing their mom and also living in kind of, like, poverty? Like, this book is super depressing. There's also, like, their village is invaded by their rivals, the village next door. The phoenixes. Yeah. Who, like, invade them at one point and steal all their stuff and ruin all their fields and stuff. And Cassia tries to fight them because she's the warrior. And they're both kind of like, hey, Foxfire, like, maybe set this one out, buddy. And he's kind of, like, emasculated and, like, doesn't take it well, even though he's not a warrior and he's not good at fighting. What else? One of the father's old friends who he fought with in the revolution comes back at some point. This spans years, by the way. The book starts out when Cassie is, like, seven. I think it ends when she's, like, a teenager. Mm -hmm. There's not really, like, the passage of time is kind of, like, not really clearly marked. There's never a, like, it's been four years. It's just kind of, like, many years later. (laughs) Uh, an old friend from the revolution comes back at one point and, like, doesn't agree with their politics anymore and basically kind of like backstabs them and deceives them like literally ties them all up and holds them hostage like knocks them out steals a bunch of stuff lets in people who burned down the village again they're like on really on the edge of collapsing like they've sold off everything they can including like a window like a a lattice carved window that belonged to their mom that was like super sentimental to all of them And that's when Foxfire has kind of a big fight with Cassia and their dad and the breaking point happens and he runs away to America. And he sets up as collateral one of the strangers, the people who are kind of on the edge of society, went with him and because they have to kind of pay their passage and if they don't have the money, they can set up someone as collateral. So if they get to America and they don't die in the crossing and they can pay off their debt for the trip, that's fine. But if they can't, then the person they set as a collateral is basically taken into slavery as payment for the trip. And so Cassia and her dad are kind of like, this idiot. I can't believe he did that. And his friend is kind of like, I trust him. He's a smart guy. He's going to be okay. And so they put themselves up for collateral. Like, they go and switch it. But against all odds, and like, against what everyone thought would happen to him, he not only makes it alive, but like, somehow starts making money. <laughs> and, like, no one expected that. Everyone in the village thought, including Cassie and her dad, like, that they were dead man walking. Like, that they were just waiting out time before Foxfire was gonna fail and they were to income slaves. And they were super close to starving, too, so they really needed that money. No matter what happened, they were in a bad place. <laughs> so this is, like, a super shocking surprise. So they, like, get some money and they're doing okay. Bad things happen again. Like, drought happens... Everyone in the village is kind of, like, looking at them, like, well, can't you save everyone? You have money. But by then, they've tried to pay off their loans and, like, taken out more loans for the things that they've been paying for and stuff, and they have zero money left, and it comes down to this thing where... Oh, the dad, when Foxfire's... I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, apparently. When Foxfire ran away, the dad was mad at him and said he disowned him. They have to ask him to stay there longer, basically, and, like, swallow their pride and be like, we didn't believe in you, but... You're making money, and we are not. Our fields are failing; like things are bad. We have no money. We use the first money you sent off sent us to pay off loans. Like, can you stay there and find well, actually, more gold? for a
0: while they even start doing well. They buy a bunch of rich fields. They do everything right, but then a bad storm happens and wrecks everything.
1: Yeah. The life of the farmer, you yeah. know. And so they have to ask him to stay there longer, and they both kind of have to swallow their pride. And there's like. A lot of personal growth for both of them, where, like, the dad is kind of like, I was too hard on him, I want him to be like me, but he's not. You know, the dad takes a lot of the burden off of Cassia, being like, I feel like you've tried to step into your mom's shoes, but, like, you need to live your own life, too. Like, you've been taking on all this stress. And that's kind of where it ends, though, is that... Yeah. Uh, oh, there is, a, there is a part where, when the village finds out that Foxfire is doing good... A lot of other people start to volunteer to go because they also have that same attitude where they're like, well, if Foxfire can do it, and he was such a fuck-up, then anyone can. We're obviously going to be super rich. And then, like, it backspires on some of them. Or, like, the people don't survive the crossing, and they die, and their family members are being taken into slavery. (laughs) And they're kind of like, help us out, Cassia! And Cassia's like, I literally have no money. Like, yeah, and then it kind of ends almost, it's not like a cliffhanger exactly, but it is a kind of, like, open-ended, like, what happens next, which makes sense when you know it's part of a series.
0: Yeah, uh, there is, you know, a sequel, I guess, that gets into kind of stuff with that.
1: Well, yeah, you find out how Foxfire made the money and how he survived the passage mm-hmm. a little more. Um, he details it a little bit in letters in this one, but not a lot.
0: Yeah, he sends one letter that does get into sort of how difficult the the crossing was and how, you know, they were crammed into these cargo holds that people were fighting and there was disease like three
1: months like gets
0: really brutal and really visceral and you know the sort of level of violence that was occurring and just a level
1: of death i love this as a kid and like rereading as an adult i was like man this book is depressing it is a downer even the ending is kind of like we think we're gonna be okay, kind of. We're not sold into slavery, and we've asked our son slash brother to stay there and hopefully make money to send to us. Like, it's bad. And even when they buy, like, the good fields and stuff, it's just, like, weird thing of, like, you know, their whole family has been farmers for, like, generations, and when I say generations, it, like, goes back to, like, the time when humans stopped migrating, basically, and, like, settled in this land, and they talk about how the land is tired, and, like, now we know things about soil, and how, yeah, it really does suck the nutrients out, and, like, make it harder to farm, and, like, they're fighting an uphill battle. Did you find that
0: now, as you're an adult reading this, there was any particular reaction you had to characters or anything that how you view these characters that's different now that wasn't were a kid
1: yeah cassia in particular i always as a kid saw her as like that kind of strong female character that i like really idealized and looked up to and in my mind i remembered her as like a kick-ass warrior who like solved everything and it's weird to reread it because like she is strong and she is actually a warrior but like She gets her ass kicked a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Like, she's still, like, small and, like, only trained by her father and, like, most of the time doesn't have a weapon, has, like, a hoe, you know? Like, she also makes a lot of mistakes and, like, she's trying to be a person that she's not really meant to be. Like, she's trying to fill in for her mom who she's just never gonna be. I guess I didn't realize how much of the story is about her failing. Really, really.
0: And a lot of it is her, I feel like, learning that she needs to be herself. And they get pretty blatant at the end because she spends the whole book trying to live up to her promise to her dying mother. That she's going to take care of her father, take care of her brother, and help their work uh, as the revolution overturning basically the sort of fascism that's taken over their, their country. And she tries to basically be her mother the whole book. So I feel like a lot of her failing is her trying to live up to her mother's life and her mother's expectations, and then failing at that.
1: Yeah. And yeah, it's really hard to read. Yeah, and it is a lot more, like, adult themes than I remember. Like, a being true to yourself and, like, actually not taking on the burdens you shouldn't. A lot of weird money problems and stuff that are... Yeah, and, like, I don't know why... I was actually talking to a friend about this, about how so many books I loved as a kid are actually, like, kind of super depressing (laughs) or about, like, really rough things. And... I was like, why are we drawn to that as kids? Is it just that we don't have the capacity? Like, that hasn't happened to us, so it's, like, not as, like, I'm not as empathetic or what? But, like, this book was real, real sad. <laughs> like, that, I did not get that when I was younger. Yeah, as a person that
0: did not read this as a kid, and this was my first time reading it, it was super depressing. Yeah, I think it's especially, it was interesting reading this as an adult, because so much of what it gets into is for instance, the difficulties of being a farmer and what it's like to be really at the whim of nature. And I think as we're sort of going into this terrible climate change era, um, you know, we're seeing how much sort of disturbances and weather can destroy everything. And that was their day-to-day life. I mean, they have one night of a bad storm. They lose all of their rice fields. And that basically wipes out everything and how much they were living on a razor's edge, even when making decisions that seem on paper to be you know, reasonable, responsible choices. And a lot of this book really did get into sort of this, them versus this, you know, the very nature of the land itself in a really depressing way where there was, they were just constantly being beaten down by forces around them in every single direction.
1: Yeah, that part rang more true to me. I'm from an area where I know a lot of farmers and like my family owns a farm. At this point, we're not solely dependent on it. It's more just like grow some fields and like rent it out at one point my family was that was our only you know like before my time but like my great-grandparents and stuff and so like i get that but it was also like the thing about like the rivalry with the town next door where like the one time they thought they were growing crops that were actually going to do well and stuff the town next door invades and like literally tramples it all like they don't even steal it they just trample it on their way to steal other things it was just like a brutal time and place to be alive. <laughs> you definitely,
0: they make you really viscerally feel the uphill battle they're living. This was actually one of the things I struggled with is coming into the book, they present a lot of sort of obstacles that are just part of the world, like the Phoenixes, like uh, Manchu, and sort of also they established really early these American or British invaders. And so it very much is put as they're in a hostile environment, but none of these sort of other human invaders had a lot of impact with me because they were all talked about, but they didn't really often give a lot of impact for them. And normally the thing I love is when a book sets up sort of a state that they don't really explain. I love it when they make a world feel lived in. And this was something that normally would appeal to me where they give, you know, not a lot of history on it, but just these are sort of the ways of the world. And like normally that got to me, but it didn't, I didn't really feel it with these books. Like it didn't feel like these were threats in a lot of ways, like, they would come, like, the bandits would come and steal all the things, or the phoenixes would come and steal all the things, but it was very, like, they did that, and then there was, like, they would say there was a threat the rest of the time, but it was never really felt. But well, the threat of nature was so constant and so overwhelming, and, like, the way the land worked against them and the world, just the nature of both their society and sort of just the elements themselves just felt so weighty that it kind of made it hard for me to care about their sort of concerns about the humans because I'm like, the world's trying to kill you.
1: Well, I think you can more of that in the other books. Like, I think this becomes really evident, evident. I was trying to say obvious and evident at the same time. And I think that should be a word. Evident it's a good word. Um, I think it's really evident when you read the other books that where the humans are more of a threat that he wrote this later to kind of give some backstory to things. I think this one is also trying to set up more about how you do need your human allies. Like for them, the family is very important. And even though they are the outsiders, they have each other. This thing about the strangers I keep bringing up because the strangers are the other outsiders in the village, but like they are friends with them and they look out for each other. They literally, the one friend put himself up as collateral when box fire ran away and stuff and like the the girl who's the stranger who's friends with cassia her name is aster and like she's awesome she's always saying she's like so good sarcastic things and stuff and she has this like outlook on the world where like she's always joking about like things are terrible and like your field was just invaded and now you might starve to death and she's still like cracking jokes and being like cassia why so glum like <laughs> but it's like strong like she's not an idiot she knows what's happening you know um, she's just trying to be optimistic about everything. And it really is about, like, who you need. And, like, this book is a lot about family connections also and, like, the complicated relationship between siblings, which is, like, Lord knows my weakness. Like, I love that. I love the relationship between Foxfire and Cassia because it's they're not, like, best friends. They don't always or rarely even see eye to eye. They put it best, and I think there's an exact quote that's, like, you may not be much, but you're all I like, got. Ah, like, you know, they're there for each other. Mm-hmm. Like, they're in this together, and it's them against the world. Um, I also, like, for as many bad things as happened, for some reason I thought the dad died, too, and he does not. And I was, like, shocked when I made it to the end of the book and he was still alive. I was like, wow, I kind of thought everyone died. <laughs> like He
0: almost died so many times.
1: But he doesn't! He's still yeah. alive at the end. I, again, I love this when I was little and it is a little like weird and disconcerting to look at it and be like, uh, you liked a super depressing book, but I do think it was just like, you know, my love of like historical fiction, I think stems from my love of when you go far enough back or to like a world that's a, a place that's different enough from where you grew up, that it is such a cool thing to know that this is real. And, like, maybe not this exact story happened to someone, but, like, the setting is real. Like, this Mm -hmm. happened in Earth, in history, and, like, honestly, not that long ago. And yet, it feels so foreign. Like, it feels like it was, it could be fantasy or something, because it's so different than your own experience in this time and place. And, like, that's what I really liked. Like, that's why I was always trying to get historical fiction that went back as far as possible. Like, the medieval ones or something. You know, like, something that was, like, Wow, can you believe it? <laughs> like but even just like growing up like, you know, not having computers and stuff, like not having any of that. It was so cool to read about people living like that to me as a kid. So I think I was more connecting to just like being in that world than to the actual storyline of like, man, I just love books where people are almost starving to death and like one of the little girls at one point gets sold to a brothel. And there's, like, a super depressing conversation they have about it, where, like, Cassia is, like, freaking out and being, like, so indignant and mad that her family would allow this to happen. And her dad and her brother have to be like, don't you get it? They think she'll have a better life there. They're afraid she will literally starve to death here. This was not an easy decision for them, but they think she'll be alive. Yeah, they phrase
0: it as, you know, when she's in the brothel, she will be regularly fed, which is something she doesn't get in her household. There's kind of this point where, that sort of uses a marker in the book, where once characters are gathering up weeds to make weed soup and basically living off the grass, that's the point where they know they're about to starve to death. And they've seen families go through that. And they've seen families have to basically sell their kids into servitude or into brothels at that point. And so they know kind of when they hit that own point where Cassia's gathering up grasses and weeds because they've lost their crops that she knows this is a point where they're not able to get enough nutrients from that. And it's really just a way to like keep going for a little while longer. But once you hit that point, the danger is very real that you'll just straight up starve to death.
1: So this is not a happy book. I can't emphasize no. that enough.
0: Thanks, Emily, for bringing this <laughs> into my life.
1: I really like
0: I movie. wanted us to That's read like... a nice story, a fun adventure about cats. And you're like, read The Serpent's Children. I'm like, oh, that title's really great. Surely this will be some sort of rollicking adventure with some sort of mythological element. Oh, no. I was very well no. deceived.
1: Even the adventure parts are super grim. <laughs>
0: And especially, like, it, even, like, early on, so there is this element about, because basically, their mother's from another village, and that's, like, a whole drama point, where she's from a village that's considered to have been sort of the descendants of this serpent called the White Serpent that's part of a legend about um, this serpent that became a woman and got married to a wanderer and had kids and basically then was discovered to be a serpent and betrayed by her husband and sort of that this village was um, descendants of that. So that's why they're considered the Serpent's Children. That's why the title happened. And they're kind of marked as outsiders because of this. They're considered a little wilder, a little more violent, uh, a little more feral... And they find a lot of pride, though, in their mother's stories and their mother's lineage. And the fact that they get into that story very early made me think that this was going to be a lot happier and more fun and exciting than it was.
1: Yeah, and then her mom went into the rice field and literally died. Just (laughs) fell
0: over and died. I'm like, cool, that's what we're doing now. And then it was basically that for the rest of the book.
1: I really don't know what about this book made it stand out for me, that I picked it out of any book at Borders. But I think that the, the first paragraph of the back summary really, like, gets to the heart of it. Which also makes me be like, did I read this? And think, like, yeah, that's for me. Um, but it says, When the villagers call Cassia and her brother Foxfire, the serpent's children, they mean it as an insult. But to Cassia it is an honor, for legend says that once the serpent sets her mind on something, she never gives up. And in a time when famine, drought, and violence mark her family's life... Cassia has nothing left than its survival to fight for. (laughs) That's true.
0: That sounds like a much more inspiring story than this, like, slow, weary ride towards death that we were on.
1: Oh, I didn't think it was like that. I mean, it was dark, but, like, I don't know. I feel like the people in it, though, were so vibrant. Like, there's bad things happening, but even when Cassia and her dad think they're going to die, Foxfire has run away. They all assume that he will die on the boat ride over to San Francisco. Um, and they are starving to death because their fields have grown nothing. And they're out of money. And they're eating weed soup. And they're still, like, joking with each other. And they're still, like, full of life even when they're dying. Like, even their mom, up to, like, the last second, was still, like, telling stories and, like, telling them to get along and stuff. Like, I don't think it's a slog. I do think it's depressing. but it's not a
0: slog so much as a weight. Like... <laughs> I'm reading this book and the characters are delightful, but they are in this dark situation where there is very, very, very little break from this endless despair of like life All weighing right, down well... and trying to murder them. I wanted us to read a nice book about cats. <laughs> well, too bad. <laughs> the characters are really good. I guess. Do you see that you relate to the characters any different now than you did as a kid?
1: Yeah, well, like I said, I see Cassia much differently than I did. Whereas she was always like this strong warrior that I was like, yeah, gonna be like her, like fighting everything. And like as an adult, I see her flaws much more clearly. Like I see the struggle she's going through trying to be something she's not. And I also just see that like. She's not, I guess in my mind, I saw her as more perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, I saw her as, like, she knocks down everyone and she holds them back. And it's, like, sometimes she does, but sometimes she's, like, a 12-year-old girl with a hoe. And, like, she might be good at martial arts, but, like, she's still not a superhero, like she's real, you know? And I think one
0: of the things that was interesting reading it as an adult that I really wondered about was so much of the book, I think, deals with things that definitely sort of hit those anxiety points for adults. Like the idea of having enough, you know? When you... The the financial aspect of this book and then getting into finances and sort of the day-to-day planning of their farm felt very adult and very like the kind of worries you have running a household. And the sort of really real aspects of poverty and i think that they really actually do get into sort of what the enemy is and that was one thing i really liked was that foxfire really thinks the enemy sort of of them is poverty and the enemy of their 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 village and sort of their country is the role poverty plays and that was too fucking real yeah (laughs) because you know their father is really about fighting the regime that's taken over china and also fighting the outsiders that are coming in. And so much of his focus is on this human element, while Foxfire is much more in this sort of institutional element. And it the kind of debate between the two of them, I don't understand why it appeals to a child. And as an adult, it basically gave me a panic attack.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really skimmed over a lot of that as a child. Like, the poverty things, like, they sounded awful, but... Like, I really focused more on, like, their dad is a freedom fighter. Like, you know, their dad and Cassia are basically trying to live in the movie Rogue One. And, like, Foxfire is all like, we need food! Which is ironic, because they call him the dreamer the whole time.
0: <laughs> That's kind of the weird part, is I struggle with Foxfire a lot, because he spends the whole book talking about the Golden Mountain, and is kind of left trying to hold this family together as her father dreams of freeing the country and her brother dreams of going to this golden mountain and having enough and more and thing, and having, you know, wealth for the family. And she sees neither of those as realistic ideals. And it's just like, I need to make sure we have enough for today. Yeah. I can't think about tomorrow because they've both basically abandoned her to be the responsible source for this family, yeah. which is also too real. Like I so mean- much of this book, I'm like, This is too real. I I can't actually read this without just feeling the anxiety in my chest well up.
1: I do like that her dad comes to it at the end and was kind of like, I've been forcing this on you. Like, you should be you. Like, you've had to shoulder a lot and kind of gets it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she she has.
1: Good thing you figured this
0: out, adult.
1: I know, but she really does. Like, he just, like, lets her slip into the role her mom made so quickly. And it was like, her mom was a grown adult, though, who, like, made these choices and supported this thing. And she was literally a child.
0: Her father basically makes her take up his emotional burden and also deal with the financial burden of him basically using the family money that's keeping them alive to basically support his ideals in this war that they're not fucking winning. And she's sort of left to deal with this situation. And he's like, oh, but I didn't, I didn't realize our finances were that bad. You didn't fucking ask and you are the like adult in this family. I did not like her father. I, I, I understood it. There was a part of me that had empathy for him because he's someone that sees himself in a certain way. And he basically gets his leg injured and is no longer able to keep up this work that's really important to him. They call it the work with a capital W and he and his wife lived as freedom fighters. So I have so much empathy for him as someone that saw himself as a piece and a grander plan and as someone moving their country towards freedom who like was running the militia in town and sort of trying to keep them safe from the phoenixes and really doing this important work in town even to keep them safe from outsiders um, and then he t- his leg is is injured by a bullet and he is suddenly no longer able to fulfill this role i have empathy as him someone dealing with an identity crisis the fact that he puts that whole crisis and the responsibility on his daughter makes me climb out of my skin.
1: This is funny. I didn't mind him. <laughs> I like him. I just, like, I, I, don't I think empathize he... with
0: him, but at the same time, I'm like, well, your daughter needs you not to fuck up, so if you could stop, that'd be great. I
1: mean, I also think, I mean, not to be like, I do think it was partly that she tried to pick, like, I mean, again, I know he was the adult and he needed to be better at this. But I do think like he grows and he learns and he's not he's perfect or even better. that great. I liked him. I don't know. He's better like, by
0: the end, but still not great. Yeah. I'm not giving him father of the year award. No. They relied so heavily he, on his wife slash Cassia's mother yeah. as. I mean, I think the, the real problem the was that
1: he didn't realize how much he was relying on his wife until she was gone. And like he should, she was kind of sick when he left, and it was one of those things where it's like you should have known. And I know she tried to hide it, but like. It's still kind of fucked up. But I don't know. I didn't mind him. Um, I feel like this really, this quote really sums up de- the type of depressingness in this book, which was, uh, it's the start of a new chapter. It's like, seven years healed neither the wounds in father's leg or those in our country. The world didn't come to an end, but it began to crumble bit by bit. Too real. That was the line where I was like, yeah, yeah, I feel that. <laughs> like... If we weren't already
0: drinking, I would need to start drinking.
1: <laughs> I also feel like, This is the kind of, like, why I think I didn't register it as as depressing when I was a kid. Because, like, I'm not saying the tone is lighthearted or that there's, like, funny jokes in it. There
0: are no jokes. This is a a, joke-free zone. Like
1: I said, the way they talk to each other and stuff was, like, very real and very, like, they were definitely, like, making cracks about their bad fortune. and There's a lot of gallows humor, especially
0: at the point where they're, um thinking they're going to be taken like they're there with well, the part where they assume Foxfire has died on the voyage and they will be taken into servitude. They make a lot of jokes about it. Cuz yeah, there's a lot of sort of gallows humor yeah. of what you're going to do. I mean,
1: so this is kind of that kind of dialogue. And it's when they've realized that the the phoenixes, the village next door have invaded them and that the militia is being slow to respond and the dad's kind of like we need to go fight them. Uh so this is like him telling Foxfire like maybe you should sit this one out. Father adjusted his grip on his spear. You may have the heart of a warrior, but you don't have the hands and feet. Let your sister and me handle this. I'm all set, I straightened, raising my hoe over my shoulder. Baggage train is ready too, foxfire mumbled. <laughs> oh. And it's like that kind of humor the whole time, I think. it is. It feels realistic to how people talk, and it's not like super formal and depressing always. Like I said, it's not laugh out loud. I struggled with Foxfire because on one hand, he has the best name mm. on the... Does it remind you of, does it remind you of Super Smash Brothers?
0: No, I just really like Foxfire. The concept, cause it's the, it's the yeah, swamp yeah. gas and yeah, it leads you off the path and-
1: Also Super Smash Brothers.
0: <laughs> just really in the concept of Foxfire, it's something that's always fascinated me and the ability to sort of lead people off into, uh, their doom in swamps. I have very specific hobbies. I struggled with Foxfire because on the one hand, great name. On the other hand, I also appreciated his struggle as someone who's very different from his family and doesn't really have anyone that understands him or gets his value and see until the very end. They don't see where his value lies and that once he does sort of end up in a situation, he works super hard when he comes over to America to make money for them and he struggles a lot. But because it's something that he believes in, he really does strive over there. But on the other hand, the third hand, I don't even know how many hands I meant. Three, fourth hand, whatever. Beforehand, he's not really making a good case for himself while he's in China with his family. Sure. He doesn't really help his sister much other than when it's necessity. But like, there's a lot of cases where she needs someone to have her back and he's off talking to someone about the Golden Mountain when it's really not needed in that moment. It's like, really? Really? You're gonna do that to me right now? So yeah. I feel like... A good end for him, like, a good sort of development for him. But he spent so much of the book where I'm like, can you just help? Can you just help?
1: I think that was one of the things I related to as a kid was that, like, I've always been kind of, like, hyper-idealistic about things, too. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of like, yeah, I'll help each other. Everything's great. Stick to your principles. So, like, that part of the book really resonated with me. Like, I really saw, like, myself and Cassia in those points. There's a couple points where she is, like, reluctantly giving help to family members even though they can't really afford it and it's great because her internal dialogue is always like super sarcastic at that point and like just like Ugh. one of the other girls in the village the girl who's eventually sold to a brothel is like asking for vegetables and stuff because they don't have any and her brother is home from the war or whatever you know cassie's like you can have this and this and so and she keeps asking for more then one point like she gives her a squash and she's like Are the squash big ones, Peony wondered? I shut my eyes and said a prayer. Certainly I must have been working off a load of sins today. She has a great internal dialogue and she's Mm -hmm. very practical and is like super hardworking and is always like, I'm going to do things. Which I also, like I I said, I agree with that. But Foxfire is sometimes like, where are you? Why aren't you in the fields? Oh, because you're off talking about this golden mountain that you're not at. And I get the idealized thing too. There's a speech that she gives at Foxfire at one point where she's like, we're humans, not worms that crawl on on their bellies. Living isn't the important thing. It's how you live. Those like super melodramatic speeches about idealism and stuff really hit me when I was young. Like I was like, yeah, that's right. That is it?
0: Those did not really hit me. <laughs> I'm old and jaded and I think this book is a struggle for the old and jaded. So <laughs> if you're old and jaded, this book may hurt your insides.
1: This quote made me laugh out loud a little bit where she's talking about what they did with the money that Foxfire sent mm-hmm. when he sent back money um, to her friend, Aster, the stranger. Aster's being like, yeah, you live in, like, kings? Like, what's going on? You a baller now? And she was like, uh, I just... don't think they
0: use the word baller. They do
1: not. I'm paraphrasing. Okay. But <laughs> I'm saying, we're just eating better. I touched a corner of my mouth. The canker sores heal now instead of festering on and on. Disgusted, Aster went on watering her plants. Poetical images are lost on you. <laughs> <laughs> So true. She's so practical. I really do love that about her.
0: I yes. do actually, one thing I do want to point out is the first line of the book is super fucking great. I feel like if I were a literary agent picking up this manuscript and read, quote, we had such high hopes when father marched off to fight the demons, I would have also felt really good about <laughs> purchasing and publishing this book. I feel like it does kind of sum up so much about this book of, yeah, we had high hopes when that happened. And then, you know, that sort of trail off unsaid, And then everything went terribly wrong.
1: They also do a good job in this book of being like why the village is so like supportive of them and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they set up a world where even though they're kind of the outsiders and no one really likes them and thinks they're all like, you know, they married outside of the village and they're serpents, children and stuff. They're still part of it. It shows a good reason why they're so loyal to the village in some ways. Like they talk at one point about how like they have like a clan treasury that they call it. The clan is the village. And it's like, they clothe people in their old age. Like, they buy coffins for poor people. Like, you know, they do all this stuff. Like, they take care of each other. And so even the outsiders, like, even after the divide with all the family and stuff, the village is who they are. Their ancestors through the years had that live there and stuff. Like, it's a super big connection. And it's one of the reasons when Boxfire runs off that it's such a shock. Because it's like, to them, it's like, this is us. You know before their mom dies, they're like, "This land is you, like yeah, they talk a lot
0: about sort of the history of farming in their family and what the fields mean to them and yeah. what sort of farming means, and I think it's a really great, actually really adult conversation about the role of identity, yeah. and sort of the I think it you can really see where Lawrence Yep is trying to examine his role in identity and what it means when you have both this homeland where there's a very strong sense of identity connection to the land versus this new world with new ideals because Foxfire is very much about the ideas of the world he's come into and he writes back and says you know this revolution it's the past and you're basically tells his father he's a relic for it and that the new ideas are going to happen in this land here and I think it's a really interesting sort of that old story about sort of the land you come from versus the land you go to and the nature of your own identity and where that arrives from that. And it's, you know, they don't, it's not like they come to a conclusion on it. There's, you know, Cassia represents sort of this home and Foxfire represents, you know, this, this, this other land. And I think you see strong arguments on both sides because they both don't understand the other's pull.
1: Well, and it's so, like, interesting, too, reading it where it's like, like I said, I come from a family where, like, we own land as farmers and stuff and even... With that, I don't have that same sort of connection. I am American. My connection is to my immediate family. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't really go back further than that. I say the place where I grew up, like my hometown and my home state, the place where my parents live now and stuff, and that's my connection. And I don't go back those hundreds of years. Like, I can't imagine that sort of, like, pull that that would have. You know, like, it's just such an interesting and fascinating thing. That's never the mindset I've had. And, you know, even as, like, an American, you know, like, growing up in, like, the 4th of July was a big thing where I grew up. That was a celebration of, like, pulling away from a place that tried to have roots and stuff. And that's, you know, glossing over a lot of things like Native Americans and people who were pushed out when my ancestors came in and stuff. I don't have that pull and that conversation is so interesting to me to be like what side would you choose if you were in that situation like would you choose the new and like forging a new path or would you be this sort of like this is where my family has been for literally hundreds of years i don't know i thought it was interesting (laughs) i just i do think like yeah it's super depressing in some ways but i think that the general writing and the tone is like a family under circumstances that is going bad that part is a little bit of a downer, but I can kind of see how, as a child, you know, they try to make the best of it. They make gallows humor. They're very, like, I don't want to say upbeat. It's never a super bummer, even when they're facing the worst. Like, they try to be, like, a little bit optimistic about things. <laughs> like, a little bit like, yeah, this is the worst, and maybe we'll die, but, like, we have each other, and we love each other, and, like, we're still making jokes to the end. You and I have different definitions of bummer. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably true.
0: (laughs) And I especially felt so much for Cassia in this book because she really struggles. She's in a point where she's trying to sort of take up her mother's footsteps and keep this family together with a brother who's a daydreamer and a father who wants to spend their resources on a revolution and seems to kind of often lead them into trouble more than sort of help them get out of trouble. Throughout all of it, people basically see her as too wild and, you know, too troublesome and too, too everything. All the kind of things that you see female characters get told that you're too much of something. Yeah. Um, so there's a particular quote I want to mention, um, quote, I can take care of myself. I declared hotly. They won't take me alive if it comes to that, but I could feel the old familiar resentment welling up inside of me. Whenever the subject of my sex was brought up, it's one thing for a woman to do all sorts of heroics in a story. It's quite another for a girl to practice the martial arts with the boys and beat them. And I think that often comes up so much where they, you know, joke about her dowry and joke about, like, her father low-key tries to get her married at one point because that's sort of the normal path of things. And I think
1: she's the only one that realizes,
0: if I get married, you two are fucked.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but he doesn't push it. And he also, like, he lets her, not only teaches her, but, like, encourages her when she's better than Foxfire. But she's never
0: really seen as sort of his direct heir in the revolution.
1: The only thing I, there was one part where they like, where she was going to go out and fight and they kind of like talked him out and they had a conversation in front of her where it was kind of like, look, she's good, but she still could get captured. And if she does, and they don't say the word, but like it's implied, if she does, she will be raped. And her dad kind of backs down and is like, yeah, maybe you should sit out this fight. And she's like, bristles a little at it. But like as an adult reading it, I was like, Yeah, I get it. She's good, but she's again not a superhero and I just feel like throughout the
0: book she sort of takes on a lot of responsibility and even in the end she doesn't totally get credit for all that she's done. Yeah. And it's fine. It's kind of the way of the book. (laughs) But yeah, it's I just I I so much wanted her at some point to really get Um, a little more recognition from her father at the level of what she did to hold this family together while they were just while he and her brother were dreaming.
1: Can I spoil something for you? Yes. Okay, so I don't remember much from the direct sequel, but I do remember that it takes place with the guy that she eventually falls in love with and marries. And he is from the Warring Village. And he is the guy, like, when the the other village invades, and there's, like, a warrior that she, like, fucking knocks out with her spear, or with her, with her hoe. It's that guy. And they meet again. It's like a weird meet-cute where he's like, uh, did you ever once kick my ass? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I totally did. I was hoping you were like,
0: spoiler alert, she becomes an amazing warrior queen in the next Well, ball. she
1: is. There's also a great part where it's like, basically holds the entire village hostage with her one gun. Being like, I got fucking great aim. And like, yeah, maybe I can't kill you all, but who wants to die first? Huh? Huh? Come at me. It's really I great. Just- She's actually, I think, more of a warrior in the second one. Like, maybe I'm, like, mixing the two together. The fact that you
0: started out with she falls in love and gets married, I'm like,
1: Well, of course she does. This takes place over generations. Definitely follows their, like, line, but... Where is the heroine
0: for the single lady in her 30s, I ask you? Where is the children's book for me?
1: I don't... I'm sure we can find something. (laughs) Help us out here, people. (laughs) Nothing's coming directly to my mind, but I'm sure there's something.
0: okay. So I will possibly read the second book if she's punching much more things and shooting much more things uh,
1: she shoots a lot of things i do enjoy that she definitely gets really into her gun she's like you know i'm tiny i get it i'm fighting uphill battle against these like six foot doll hulking dudes i'm gonna fucking shoot a gun and it's like again and now at this point in time guns are kind of a uh, an issue and i'm not supporting that but like In 1840s China, if you're a tiny woman trying to defend against getting raped by warriors, I am very supportive of you taking a shotgun and being like, come at me, bros. That's, yeah, that's a
0: good context for that. (laughs) Do you have any other thoughts you would like to share?
1: No, I still kind of like this book.
0: So ratings, how will you rate this book?
1: (sighs) I'm gonna give it a six. I know that's probably lower than it even seems like, but like, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed rereading it. I thought it was a little bit deeper than I remembered. I loved being in this world, even though it's a brutal and hard world. It's not as fun (laughs) as some of the other books we've read. And so that's why it's getting a lower score. And it does have a little bit of that weird, I wrote this prequel later to fill in plot holes type feel, which I could never really place my finger on. But now that I know that I'm like, that's what it was. Um, so in terms of rereadability, it's like I will probably reread this at some point. But yeah, I think a 6 is like my
0: I am going to give this book a 4.5, which I feel <laughs> bad about on one hand because I like Cassia. And I like the concept of the book. I like a lot of the themes of the book. I love how it dives into identity. I I like what Lawrence Yep is trying to do with this book. I just don't like the book. Yeah. And I wasn't expecting that, and it made me sad, because I wanted to like the book. I just felt really frustrated
1: throughout the whole thing. (laughs) This is payback for all the books you've made me read.
0: And the writing is fine, but it's nothing that, like, nothing about the prose really made me excited or interested. And the things I love, like, when they're talking about, you know, the storytelling window and the the Mm -hmm. White Serpent, and, like, when they get into sort of the history of the family... I almost want a prequel to this prequel. That's kind there's... of what I want.
1: Actually, I should tell you, because I agree with the writing. We didn't really touch on it, but, like, it's not, like, poetic or anything. It's very just, like, straightforward and, like, it is what it is and there's nothing really... Yeah, I feel but, like,
0: it, the, yeah, the prose um, didn't really do it for me. Like, it was fine. It was it was good, but not nothing that, like, what made me super excited.
1: I will say that one of the other books by Lauren Leop that I owned was actually just kind of a standalone, like... Not retelling, but just like a modern writing of ancient Chinese legends and folk tales. Oh wow. That seems like something you might like. I can do. You... That.
0: And that was one of the hard things for me is I wanted to like this book, but just I didn't. I don't even know why. I just was reading it and I'm like, I'm not enjoying myself. And but I could definitely see myself liking even another book in this series. Like I could definitely see there's things in this world I really liked in a way, and I really like the way he approaches writing about a lot of really intense adult themes. And so I could definitely see myself liking another book in the Golden Mountain series. I could see myself liking one of his other books outside of this. This book was just not that book.
1: Yeah, I'm actually interested to see how far it goes and like how...
0: I actually kind of want to like... read one of his more modern written bo- like I want to read one of his much later written books because I'm very curious yeah. if his style has evolved, if something he wrote in the 2000s is something that resonates yeah. with me more or
1: not? I don't know. Yeah, and I want to read something further down the line and be like, what happened with this family? Yeah. Like,
0: There's a list and on I Wikipedia. Ask... I know,
1: right? I've just learned. I would say I would recommend this book, I would say throw it at kids who are maybe, just need some other, like, worldviews. I think that really helped me. It was mm-hmm. a kind of a, even loving historical fiction, I feel like so much of it that was recommended to me where I lived and stuff was like, here's a book about, The Oregon Trail and some white people going on it or like here's a book you know even some of the medieval ones and stuff that we like we did Catherine Calverti which was great and I loved it and it was a totally different world but again like I feel like I wasn't shown many worldviews that weren't just like white people yeah I I think especially
0: for students I think west coast students that cover the gold rush I think this is actually an interesting series because the gold rush is often taught on the west coast from a pretty white centered point of view yeah So I think especially given like, you know, California had a huge Chinese presence during it. So I think it'd be an interesting book to add to sort of a student going through that time period in American history to give them context in some ways, or at least like tell them a story that relates to this in sort of a different way.
1: Yeah. I don't necessarily think if you're an adult and you haven't read this, I'm not like, I don't know, run out and buy it right now. I guess if it's something that is, like, in your already area of interest. If you have a child in your life that's too
0: happy and you want to make them (laughs) sad.
1: It didn't make me sad, though. If you
0: are an adult that's too happy and you're like, I want a bummer today.
1: I feel like all children are, like, a little bit of a sociopath because they just don't have that empathetic thing yet. That's true. Like, that's why they can read these sad books and not be sad.
0: Maybe that's the problem, is I was over-empathizing with Cassia, and so it was hard to just not feel, like, a weary sadness develop- enveloping my entire soul.
1: Yeah. Have you tried drinking?
0: I mean, only during the daylight hours. <laughs> and the nighttime hour, The, the waking hours, I like mm. to call them.
1: Yes, I've heard of those. Anyway, that's my recommendations for this book. Alright. Like, I definitely think kids, not adults. It's kind of a bummer as an adult, to be uh, honest. Do
0: you have any final thoughts on this book?
1: I liked it! To- Alright
0: i less so i wanted to like it the intention was there i feel guilty for not liking it yeah. i get really sad when there's books i don't like that everyone loves and i'm like oh i wish i wish i felt that in my heart um so thank you all for joining us this week if you want to get in touch with us if you've read this book and want to tell us your feelings oh, uh, if you've
1: read the other books and have an opinion on which the one other books read.
0: and want to give us a heads up on what to look for um, we are reachable in a couple ways. You can, and by that, by we, I mostly mean me, but I will pass anything along to Emily <laughs> as needed.
1: I don't know how the internet works.
0: We can I be hear reached. it's
1: like a web.
0: It's a series of tubes. So we can be reached at throwbackbookstack at gmail.com if you're an email person. Um, or find us on Twitter. Tell us what you think about this book. Tell us what you think about other books we've read. Uh, we are at Pod. Uh, also, shout out to the Lady Pod Squad, who are always, you know, a great friend of ours. If you want to find other podcasts with women, you know, producing them and women hosts, um, check out the hashtag Lady Pod Squad on Twitter. You can, you know, rate us on iTunes, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify. Um, if you like our podcast, leave us a rating. It will help us be more discoverable for other people that also really love talking about the books of their youth. Our music this week was Heartbreaker by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. And we'd love to have you back again in two weeks.
1: Done recording podcast. I fucking did it.